This is the Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Every game. You are going to go back to throw the ball. Sets up, look, throws toward the corner of the end zone. It is intercepted! Intercepted! And it's in the ball! Every story. If we just continue to push and grind and go and take care of our guys, it's going to be built to last. The Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck owner, Justin Hopkins. And Matt Bagley from 96.1, 580, the game. Day after signing day, a week after a little bit of a pause from us. I'm sorry for that. I just got completely sidewinded by a wild week in my, my day job with the radio station. But I'm back here this week, and we're back with you, Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi, Matt Bagley and Justin Hopkins. And let's start with the big headline grabber. 2021 class is wrapped up. How do you feel about this class now that signing day is in the rearview mirror? Well, I mean, I I think if you're anything but excited, uh, you know, I, I just don't think that's fair. I mean, this is a, a tremendous class that Mario Cristobal and his staff put together top to bottom. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, offensively, uh, they just added some absolute weapons on offense. And, and of course, you added a quarterback of the future in Ty Thompson, who's, you know, a five-star on some sites or a borderline five-star on other sites. And, you know, I mean, that's, uh, I mean, we're just looking at, at the at the final four teams from last year. And, you know, you can make a case. That those are three of the best quarterbacks in the country. You know, Ian, Ian Book was... Uh, you know, he was, he was, he was above average. He was good, but not great. Uh, you know, obviously Notre Dame was probably the weakest of that, of that foursome. And I think you just kind of start to look at those things and, you know, really it boils down to really good quarterback play. So, you know, for Oregon, I think that's the, you know, I I think Mario Cristobal's identified that that's now become, you know, the key to any successful team is is getting that guy. And, uh, so you got to feel good about that. And, uh, you know, really, uh, you know, I don't want to sit here and, and, and bash other teams, but, you know, outside of, of USC, who should recruit well every year, you kind of start to look at what Oregon did in the Pac-12 and what the rest of the Pac-12 did. And, man, they are, I mean, you know, this isn't being a homer. They are light years ahead of everybody else. So you've got to feel good about, you know, what Oregon did uh, this year, especially given the pandemic. I mean, that just made everything different. And they adapted. Uh, you know, I would say they adapted better than most. It's clear they adapted better than some of the other Pac-12 schools. And 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 I think we saw all of that hard work, uh, you know, come to fruition. Yeah, yeah. I, I talked about this on my radio show yesterday, how ESPN has their top 300, you know, the top 300 high school football players in each class every year. And Oregon set a school record. They got 16 guys on that list. They've never done that before. And, and it was so momentous. Mario Cristobal said yesterday, this is the best class we've, we've ever had. Um, I, I, I think about that, and I think about the fact that Oregon could say the same thing last year, the best class they'd ever had and could say the same thing the year before last year, the best class they've ever had. And I, I can't help but think, even though Oregon has been elite before, 
you've gotten to New Year's Six Bowls, you've won the Pac-12, you've been in national championship games. I can't feel help but feel like the trajectory Cristobal has them taking is higher than any trajectory they've ever been on. Yeah, I mean, you know, this is a, uh, I mean, I don't care how you slice it. This is a championship caliber recruiting class. Now, that said, can you go and win a championship with just this really good class and then, you know, an okay class before it and an okay class after it? No, you got to keep the pedal down. But, you know, as as happy as I was, you know, the last two years to see Oregon recruiting improve, which it did. Uh, you know, two years ago uh, for the 2019 class, Oregon signed the number seven class. This is number six. And even though that class had Kayvon Thibodeau and some other really good players in it, I just didn't feel it was nearly as balanced as this one. And the biggest difference there, which you can go and look at, I know a lot of folks don't use this metric. Some do that that spend a lot of time on recruiting, but you can go on any service and they have like an average star rating next to it. And so, you know, obviously that just takes all all the all of your commits and averages them out. Uh, Rivals does theirs a little bit differently. I, I can't remember the formula, but you're throwing throwing some of them out somewhere in there. I think the bottom the bottom five get left off or whatever the case might be. But in terms of twenty four seven, you just take everybody and average it out. Well, this class was a what they call a point nine two three five, which means basically it was an an average rating of ninety two was the was the recruit that they signed in this class back in twenty sixteen. Uh, I can't remember the exact number, but it was point nine oh like point nine oh seven oh or something. So basically, it, it was a ninety. It was a, a full two points less, basically, uh, even in that historic class. You know, twenty twenty. You, you are around uh, 11, I believe, is where Oregon finished rank, which was a good class. Uh, not an, I don't want to say not an elite class. It's a pretty darn, it's pretty darn close to elite, but not, not like this. And, and again, that average star rating was, uh, was 90. So uh, you just look at the balance of this class, the way that, you know, for me, I went back and looked and, and Oregon had, at this moment right now, Oregon, you know, secured 12 signees on the offensive side of the ball 11 signees on the defensive side of the ball which means it's not heavy one way or the other they're not saturated uh that's the one thing that i do pick on with usc's class a little bit they signed a ton of dbs and they took some transfers at db and i start to you know and and used like the roster management there Mm -hmm. for the next you know couple years really makes you kind of scratch your head a little bit about that they were also propped up with taking two quarterbacks in this pla- uh, in this class. Both were four stars. Again, not to discredit what they did because they clearly improved and improved on the recruiting trail. But you kind of start to look at those things and run a fine through, you know, fine comb through them. You look at the guys Oregon signed, uh, you know, on the offensive defensive line compared to USC. You know, you look at the receivers Oregon signed uh, compared to USC. Uh, you just start to look at the, you know, the the running backs that Oregon signed compared to USC. Uh, you know, certainly they, they got Oregon's number in the defensive backfield. I don't dispute. I don't dispute that one bit. But a lot of these other positions, Oregon really exceeded them on. And and again, it just, I, I really, I, and I know we've had people on. I know we've had Dave Bartu and others come on before and, and talk about Mario's roster management. Once again, it was showcased in this recruiting cycle mm-hmm. just how good of a pulse he has on his team, where he has needs, and filling those needs through recruiting. Yeah, no, one hundred percent. 
and uh, and you mentioned Oregon versus USC. It's it's funny to me because the Ducks are getting in the top ten year after year. Uh, by some metrics, they're getting in the top five. I, I saw one list that had them third, um, and and USC is not even in the conversation. You know. Yeah, I mean, you know, they. Uh, yeah, I, I guess here's the thing: they should be USC should be one of those top ten teams year in and year out. Now they did with with a, with a twenty four seven as it is. They did finish at number eight overall. They had they had a really good class this year. Um, again, I I think it's a little bit unfairly weighted because of some of the guys they did sign. Uh, you know, you got two quarterbacks, you got a ton of DBs, you can't play them all. Um, they, they really did not do well on offensive line or defensive line for that matter, outside of Corey Foreman, uh, you know, the five-star pickup for them. But that said, compared to last year and two years ago, I don't know that there's anybody out there that didn't do, didn't see, you know, more improvement than USC. They obviously made that an emphasis. They decided to keep Clay Helton. It must've been made abundantly clear that if he didn't get better at recruiting, he probably wasn't going to be around long. So you know, you go and you hire Dante Williams, you improve, improve your recruiting budget, your recruiting staff, which we've seen them add, you know, multiple members to. And, you know, right now they're they're at number eight, just a couple spots behind Oregon. Um, it's a good class. Again, I don't I don't see that it has the balance and the pieces that Oregon's Oregon's class does, but they did improve. And that's a big thing. But, you know, we're talking about those two schools and and then it's a it's a drop off. It's a monumental drop off into basically just a sea of mediocrity. Right. You know, the next closest is Cal at number twenty seven on twenty four seven sports. Uh, two spots behind them is UCLA at twenty nine. You look at both of them and their average star rating. You know, Oregon's at ninety two, USC's at ninety one. All of a sudden, it drops down to eighty seven. You know, and I get it. Those aren't two schools. Well, UCLA should be better. They should be doing better. And I, and I don't mean to pick on Chip, but he's just not recruiting, you know, in my opinion, as well as he should at UCLA. Uh, but, you know, everybody after that, you know, Utah's at 33. I mean, it just, you know, the, the two that really, really blow my mind is the fact that Washington checks in at, at 35, just shy of an 88 average star rating. So a decent class, but, you know, only 15 commits, a smaller class, uh, just Man, a lot of question marks there with Jimmy Lake and and, and the recruiting there. I know that, uh, you know, Washington fans are just, they're really beside themselves. And, and if Oregon manages to snatch JT Tuamalo, the five-star out of Washington, I know they're, they're, they're jumping off a cliff. But uh, the other one that really jumped out, jumped out to me was Arizona State. For all the hype that this school has gotten, uh, you know, for hiring young coaches and, and, and doing this and that, they finished 48th. You know, they're they're just, you know, right there around the 50s. Yeah. Uh, that's not good. Uh, that's not good at all. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know, you know, what's going on there. I don't know their number situation. But even if you're tight on scholarships, even if you're tight on numbers, you shouldn't be taking any less than 20 guys in any given year. Uh, you know, if you're not doing that, not processing, processing some of your, you know, uh, I hate to use the term dead weight, but the guys that just aren't contributing, you're probably going to stay mediocre. And I think that's one thing that, you know, uh, kind of sets Mario Cristobal apart. He's, he's kind of not afraid to, you know, get a little dirty. And it's mm -hmm. it's not anything that anyone wants to do where you're turning players, you know, kind of sending players out the door. 
I know one of the things that he tries to do that makes it better than most is, is he works really hard getting those guys set up with a landing spot, even before that's taken place. Kind of like a, Hey, look, you know, we, we kind of need to call a spade a spade here. Right. You know, you, right. you might not be long in the tooth here, but I'm going to help you. And, and, and it seems like all his guys find, find a pretty good landing spot, you know, one way or another. But uh, again, if you want to be, I mean, you know, Nick Saban has no problem doing it. You know, uh, Ryan Day at Ohio State has no problem doing it. Dabo Swinney at Clemson. You know, the elite ones, they're churning out, uh, you know, they're churning out some of the guys that aren't going to contribute for, you know, bringing in new talent. And uh, unfortunately, that's uh, that's just what you have to do when it yeah. comes to recruiting and, and being an elite program. Yeah, I, I've often compared the situation at these major college football programs to the academic reality of going to college where, uh, for example, I started college as a software engineering major. Uh, I wanted to be a computer programmer, and I went to Oregon Tech, which is one of the best schools on, in the West for studying computer programming. And I had a moment early in my junior year where I just was struggling. Man, my classes were brutal. It was insane stuff like building networks and uh we had to build a robot and do all the mechanical like welding and wiring and everything and i just sucked at it and i remember i had a professor pull me aside and say hey maybe this isn't for you and um and i, and I think in in the academic world it's kind of taken for granted that that's going to happen. You're going to pull people aside and say, hey, maybe you need another major. Maybe you need to be somewhere else. Maybe you need to go to another school. Um, and I don't see a problem with that happening in Oregon. I'm with you. I, I look at the news of, of some of these guys transferring out. I think it's not so much that they didn't feel appreciated in Oregon or they didn't feel loved in Oregon, but maybe that they were just given a little honesty at Oregon. Maybe Cristobal and company just, you know, were a little honest with them and said, hey, we're not going to start you or we're not going to give you what you want unless you, you know, step it up. But we can put in a good word and send you somewhere else, you know? Yeah, I, that's the hard conversation to have, but it's the right one to have. You know, I mean, if if these guys have aspirations of playing, starting, of, you know, potentially moving on, uh, I mean, I, and I say that, let's be real. Somebody that's probably processed at organs probably doesn't have great odds of moving on. But, you know, again, if you're buried on the depth chart, uh, you know, not playing, you have virtually zero odds. So, you know, why not help yourself go play at the next stop, see what happens. Maybe you make a position change, uh, maybe it gets you closer to home. And, you know, like you said, you're homesick. It clears your mind. You can see mom you know, once a month or something and it, and it, you know, brightens your day, whatever the case might be. Some, some, sometimes that happens, you know, and uh, yeah, it's the tough conversation to have, but I think it can be approached the right way. I think it can be handled the right way. I mean, the, the cutthroat, Hey, you're not going to make it. Good luck. Pack your bags, you know, check out. Uh, yeah. That's probably not going to work very well. Uh, and it definitely can create some bad ties for you. But I think, you know, I, I think Mario Cristobal is very careful about how he handles it. You know, I, I think he spends a lot of time helping these young men find another destination. I know that's something he goes above and beyond to do. And again, 
if you're going to, you know, if you're going to make the decision that we want to be an elite program, this is something you have to do. Mm -hmm. The way you handle it can be left up to you. And I think Mario Cristobal does his absolute best to make this as clean, as simple and as good all the way around for everybody. And I, I think there's a lot to be said for that. I want to revisit a couple of points that you brought up earlier in the pod. The first is when you mentioned what Oregon did at quarterback in this class, because I think it really stands out as the crowning jewel. Um, is it fair to say Ty Thompson is the headliner here? Yeah, I, I, I think we're being, uh, you know, I just don't think we're being fair if he's not. I love me some Troy Franklin. I think that's a, a dynamic receiver. That's a guy that, that we've been we've been waiting for Oregon to bring in kind of like, hey, this is a, you know, he, to me, so, okay, here's how I, I look at it. He's the Mikhail Wright at receiver. You know, there's a guy that you brought in and, you know, you could just see from, from year one, true freshman, Mikhail Wright had it. Did he start? No, he was behind Thomas Graham and Diamdor Lenore, but you could see that when he got out there, the drop-off wasn't very severe. And, and that's a guy coming in, uh, you know, behind three-year starters as a true freshman. And, and I think that's what we're going to see there uh, with Troy Franklin. Now, with regards to your question, and Ty Thompson, I love some of these other guys, but again, I, I back this thing up. You're not winning You're not winning the whole enchilada in college football without a really, really good quarterback. And, and if you are, it means you're full of five stars at every other position, and, and Oregon's not. And, uh, you know, so I, I think you've got to have Ty Thompson there. Uh, I think you need that guy to come in and play for you for three years and really help you take this thing to the next level. I say that play the next three years. I think he's going to have an opportunity to groom for a year, which is a tremendous thing. We saw Bryce Young, you know, go to Alabama and have the opportunity to redshirt this year uh, behind Mac Jones. You saw DJ Ugalali go to Clemson and have the opportunity to redshirt and sit behind Trevor Lawrence, although he did play in a couple games, uh, you know, for him. I think that's the right thing here, you know, for Ty Thompson. You're going to have the opportunity to come in, uh, and, and we'll see a very spirited uh, uh, battle for starting quarterback with Anthony Brown and Tyler Shuck, I believe, this spring and this fall. I don't know if Ty Thompson can work his way into that mix. I, th I certainly think he's going to be given every opportunity to, but right now, I'm just going to defer, you know, with that experience and, and assume one of those two guys wins the job for a year. I think in a year, we're talking about Ty Thompson really owning this team for a few years. And, and just look at the weapons he's going to have. He's going to have Bram Walden, Kingsley Sumataya, some of these awesome, terrific offensive linemen blocking for him. He's going to have Seven McGee and Cardwell out of the backfield. Uh, you know, Dante Thornton. Uh, you know, at receiver along with Troy Franklin. And then you've got two very big, strong, fast guys that can catch it tight end in, in Matavao and Ferguson. Um, I, I just love the way that this offensive class is put together. And I, I think that that, I think that that means there's going to be a lot of firepower on offense for Oregon in the coming years, for sure. And it all starts with Ty Thompson. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really, really like that signing. It, it reminds me of, the headlines in previous classes uh, two years ago, five-star edge, Kayvon Thibodeau. Last year, a pair of five-star linebackers. I just feel it hits differently when it is a, a four-star, almost five-star, or, or by some accounts, a five-star quarterback. 
Yeah, I mean, just just to have well, and the other thing about Ty Thompson was just having a five star quarterback like that who committed fairly early on to help you, you know, recruit these guys to help bring in these guys, and once you get them, to help keep them together because good players want to play with one another, you know. So if you got a Ty Thompson and and a Troy Franklin commits early, all of a sudden those two guys are like, hey, I'm locked in, I'm with you, you know, we're both elite players, we're going to Oregon, we're set. And they never look back. And and I know that that was something, you know, relayed to me. I haven't really, you know, put this out on the site. But, you know, Oregon just felt this year really good about these guys and the way that they were committed and the way that they handled their business and the way that, you know, there was very little wavering or, you know, hey, you know, you got to watch out for Washington or USC here with the with these guys. You know, everybody was locked in and, and did a good job communicating with the coaches. And that made their job so much easier to go out there and finish this class off. So, um, you know, that's something that kind of is, is kind of left unsaid at this point, just how that worked out for Oregon as well. I know I'm going on a tangent here, but this stuff just kind of comes into my brain and then runs out my mouth, which <laughs> is obviously some of the reason I get in trouble from time to time with the girlfriend. But uh, <laughs> Um, th- there was another uh, angle that I wanted to readdress. You were talking about the issues at Washington and the issues at Arizona State. And I-, I talked about this on my radio show last night. I'm curious. Eugene is a relatively small city. Big in the scale of Oregon, 200,000 plus, but-, but small in terms of your Seattle's, Portland's, L.A.'s, Vegas, Phoenix, etc., there's not a major airport. It's tough to get to. You got to drive a long distance to get there. I'm curious why Oregon in Eugene is having this recruiting success and why the Huskies and why the Sun Devils aren't. <clears throat> you know, that's a, that's a good question. Um, you know, of course, my expertise lies heavily within, within Oregon and what they're doing and what the coaches are doing. You know, and I, and I can speak about that in confidence and saying that, you know, they just outwork everybody. I mean, it's it's a maniacal grind. And, and I think that it's something that's going to continue being a part of the reason there's a lot of turnover at Oregon. I mean, Mario Cristobal is not bringing in guys that, you know, want to coast along and collect a ring, you know, because a couple other coaches work hard. I mean, it, you know, if he's got 11 coaches, he expects them all to work hard and and. and you know, and, and hold their weight. And, uh, you know, so I, I think that it's, it's the pace, it's the effort, it's the relentlessness, you know, that these guys recruit with. And, you know, a, a guy like an Alex Mirabal or, or uh, Jim Mastro, uh, you know, Ken Wilson, you know, those guys could be here for a while because they're grinders. They just, they're used, that's, they're used to it. You know, they, they've kind of grown up you know, uh, just, just grinding it out. And that's what they expect. I don't know that they know another way. So, you know, those are the guys that are going to stay at Oregon for a long, long time. You know, where, where some others that just might, Hey, you know, this, this isn't for me. I'm going to, I'm going to find something else. I think that's going to happen, but um, you know, or Oregon's tough. They just, they recruit tough. And I think the other thing, which you and I have talked about extensively with regards to Oregon, it starts at the top, man. I mean, I don't know that there's a better recruiting head coach in the country than Mario Cristobal. And, and I don't say that lightly. I mean, the guy is involved with, you know, basically every commit, every recruit, there's a handful of guys that he personally recruits every year and ends up landing for Oregon. And they're not just offensive linemen. 
Um, you know, he's ultimately the lead guy on JT Tuamalo right now and why Oregon's on the short list. Um, you know, so I think it starts at the top there and, and trickles down with regards to ASU and, 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 uh, and UW. Maybe that's part of the problem. Maybe Jimmy Lake is similar to Chip Kelly and doesn't prioritize recruiting in the way that you need to in this current era. I wonder if that's part of his problem. It almost feels to me like Jimmy Lake has a bit of this ego problem, like, you should want to come play for me. I'm Jimmy Lake. And I think that ego, same ego does plague Chip Kelly a little bit. Like, hey, I'm Chip Kelly. You know, look at my offense. I'm, I'm an offensive genius. You should just want to come play for me. And I kind of get where they're coming from, but unfortunately, that's, that's not how it works. Uh, you know, with ASU, I don't know, man, I, I don't know. I've said this for a long time. I just, I, I continue, I continue to feel like ASU is a sleeping giant. I continue to wonder how you don't just have kids lining up to come play for you at ASU. You have phenomenal weather. You have above average facilities. You have some of the most attractive young co-eds in the country, as you can see on every college site that ranks right. them. Right. They're let's, always let's, let's up be there. honest. It's it's a party school. It's it's a you know all the LA kids go there. Commuter school, whatever. I'm I'm totally in agreement with you. Yeah, I'm I'm just calling a spade a spade here. I mean that's a I mean you know some <laughs> 17, 18 year old kid they're going to show up to ASU and have a hell of a weekend. You can bet on that. You know, your hardest job if you're ASU is trying to keep them out of trouble on game weekends. You know, that's going to be your biggest issue. But, you know, so I just wonder, I mean, you know, we saw ASU kind of go young with its recruiting, with its, excuse me, with its hiring approach. You know, Antonio Pierce, he's a young, likable guy, but again, he's young. You know, you don't have a ton of experience there, although he recruits really well. You went and you brought Prentice Gill down from Oregon. And he had a little bit of splash success there. But again, a very young guy, it's really hard to sustain that. You know, they hired Chris Hawkins as the DB coach. I think he's a good coach, an up-and-comer, but again, really young. So, you have, you know, I think every, every staff everywhere, not just in Oregon, every staff everywhere needs balance. Mm-hmm. Okay, you need recruiters and you need guys that can coach. You can't just have all of one or the other, in my opinion. Additionally, on top of that, I think you do need some young guns that come in and are go-getters and and get after the recruiting game a little bit, but you have to have that old wisdom too. You can't just have one or the other. You can't just have a crew of, of young go-getters that, that lack some, you know, some real experience and you, and and vice versa. You can't just have a bunch of old crusty guys that are hanging around saying, Hey, I've done this for 30 years. Come play for me. That doesn't work either. So I, I think that's also something that Mario Cristobal has a really good pulse on making sure that his his coaching roster, as it is, is balanced. You know, young versus old, uh, coaching guys, teaching guys versus recruiting guys, and trying to keep that balance. I don't know if ASU and UW have done a good enough job of that. I'm really starting to wonder about some of these coaching moves uh, Jimmy Lake is doing. I know others are as well, but they really leave your head scratching at times with some of the promotions and the guys he's hiring. Um, I, I definitely, I, I definitely think there's a, a little bit of, of smoke to the fire up in Seattle right now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you, you talk about the personality differences between Mario, Jimmy and chip. And I, I am reminded of a story. My dad has always told me, uh, he was a, a furniture salesman in his twenties. And he always told me he felt like sales there were there were two kinds of salespeople. 
there were salespeople that would just let things come to them and and he was in that boat of you know somebody comes in and they need a sofa he's not going to pitch them a whole furniture set he's only going to sell them the sofa uh and then there's the guy that doesn't let things come to him he goes to the people he goes out and he seeks people and he goes out and pitches and he goes out and grinds and he might hear no a lot and and it might not always be perfect because he might come on a little too strong but he's always gonna you know get the money at the end of the month i i feel like you think mario cristobal is that kind of guy jimmy lake and chip kelly might just be more of the the wait and let things come to him kind of guy yeah, the money's going to come to me. And, and and I I'll be fair. I'm sure Mario Cristobal has a bit of an ego himself. All of these guys do. I mean, they get to be, you know, basically head coaches of of major universities. Some ego comes along with it, but I think some are better at at, at kind of pushing it aside and and really kind of, you know, maybe eating that humble pie if you will. And 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 I think that's one of the things that that makes you a great head coach. You you've got it. You know, you've got to look at where the weaknesses are within your organization, whether that's from a coaching standpoint or a playing standpoint, recruiting standpoint, all these different facets. You got to eat some humble pie. You got to look at them and say, hey, look, we didn't do well in this area this year. We need to fix that. And, you know, for a coach, you don't ever really like to admit that you were, you know, wrong or you failed in a certain area, but that's the humble pie you got to eat. And, uh, quite frankly, I'm not sure that Jimmy Lake eats any humble pie. I think he just kind of assumes that he's he's going to, you know, coach his way out of whatever, you know, mistakes or shortcomings there are. And, uh, you know, uh, there, there were a lot of head scratching when he promote or hired, you know, Donovan to be his offensive coordinator. There's even more head scratching, you know, that he promotes Bob Gregory uh, to fill the D.C. role. I understand Jimmy Lake. Uh, runs the defense and, and and it's still very much his defense so i'm sure there's a lot of you know communication there i'm sure there's a lot of uh, of things that'll cross over and that makes a lot of sense but man why not go get yourself a a recruiter you know what i mean if that's the case go find a guy and say hey look you're my dc well we all know he's not really calling the defense but you know let him go out and sign you some dudes and uh you know so i don't know it's 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 uh it's really interesting to sit here and think about because I kind of think about it by myself, but now that I'm able to kind of talk with you and I'm kind of talking out my feelings, uh, I guess I should just call you like counselor, you know, <laughs> counselor, Matt, counselor Bagley. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I, now I gotta, that I'm able I to kinda, up my hourly rate there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but now that I can kind of, you know, voice out my feelings, I start unpacking some of the stuff that gets, you know, kicked around in my little melon. <laughs> oh, oh. Um, I, I, if you need counseling, I can't help you. I'll just, I'll just say that I, I'm about the worst counselor <laughs> on the planet, but, uh, but yeah, man, I mean, we're just, we're just talking signing day and, um, wrapping up loose ends. Uh, the one question I haven't asked you 2022, you wrote about this on your site. You think that the ducks even with Ty Thompson coming in this year, uh, Roby Ashford and others coming in last year, you feel like Oregon should still pursue a quarterback. Let's start there. Why do you think the Ducks need a QB in that next class? Well, I'm, I'm on the Ty Thompson train, so let's just throw that out there. I, 
I don't think it has anything to do with that. But I, I think year in and year out, your elite schools are really actively trying to bring in at least one quarterback in a year. And, and I, it doesn't always happen, but I would, let's just say, uh, out of four years, at least three of them, you want to bring in a quarterback because quarterbacks uh, transfer the most often right now. Um, I think you can play the transfer portal a little bit more with quarterback than with other positions, but it's still a gamble. Um, you've got to keep that position deep. You've got to keep it stocked. You never know when you're going to need a guy, you know, in the middle of a game at the end of the season, you never know if your guy's going to get hurt. There is no more important position in football than quarterback. So I would say this, you know, for Oregon and as it relates to quarterback this year, it's a home run or it's, or it's nothing you're going for, you know, if you're Joe Moorhead, you've got, you know, three, four, maybe five names up on your board. And you're basically saying, look, I'm going after these guys. If I get one of them, great. If I don't, I'm holding it off. And I, I think that's how you approach that this year for Oregon. Now that could change after the spring because you start to wonder, you know, does Jay Butterfield get happy feet and decide to move on? Does, does Robbie Ashford, same thing, happy feet and want to move on. We've already seen Millen move out of the program. Luckily, Oregon's got, you know, Ty Thompson coming in there. So you're good on numbers right now, but you know, what you, you could have a couple guys leave. You never really know. And I'm not saying this from any position of Intel or anything. I'm just trying to look at scenarios that could possibly come up. I think that's one that you got to look at a little bit. And if it does, here's, I guess here's the other thing. It's February 4th today. I would be willing to wager a good sum of money that out of the top 15 to 20 quarterbacks in the 2022 class, okay, we'll just say 20. I'll bet 15 of those 20 are committed by the end of March, by April. And that's just the nature of recruiting. And I could be off by a couple of weeks, but you get my point. They're going to commit early in the cycle. Mm-hmm. If, you do, if you haven't been recruiting them already, you're behind the ball. If you hang on and see where you're at after spring, and decide to start recruiting, you're behind the eight ball. So it does Oregon no good to not recruit that position right now and at least be in the game. And then if they get to April and nobody transfers out and their four, four or five guys are off the board, then that's when, you, you know, Master, excuse me, Mario Cristobal and Moorhead have the conversation and say, hey, look, you know what? I think we're going to hold off in this cycle and they move on. So, uh, but But if you don't at least get yourself to that point, you know, by recruiting these guys and seeing what happens, you could get to April 15th, have two guys leave, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, crap, we're screwed. Right. Just don't put yourself in that position, and that's how you eliminate that. Right. No, I, I, I agree with you that you're, you're not tipping a hand. You're not, you know, burning a source when you say this. There's no inside info that a, a quarterback is going to immediately transfer from the Oregon program. But I think for all the reasons we talked about earlier, maybe the honesty of the coaching staff, the openness of the coaching staff to just tell a guy that we've got a pretty stacked depth chart in front of you, I feel like um, players are going to be inclined to leave Oregon as they keep having this, this recruiting success. And I think the other angle here, it's not just Oregon. Look at Ohio State the past couple of years. Joe Burrow was a Buckeye. Look at Georgia. Justin Fields was a Georgia Bulldog. And and look across the nation. Uh, Tate Martell is kind of the warning story about this. 
high-rated quarterbacks are going to transfer. It's just the reality of college football now. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think we're being naive if, let's just, you know, uh, play devil's advocate. We're being naive if, if we just assume that after this football season, not after spring football, but after the football season in the fall, that every quarterback uh, besides Anthony Brown, who would obviously be out of uh, – uh, be out of time that every quarterback is going to return next year to Oregon. I think that's completely naive to think about. So, um, you know, those guys might decide, Hey, I'm going to make a play early. Let me transfer, you know, in March, April, May, whatever the case might be. Uh, you know, if you're Oregon and you've already got a, a really highly touted 2022 guy committed, you're feeling good at that point. Uh, you know, if, if two guys leave and you don't have anybody on your radar, you could be in a little bit of trouble. And I, and I think that that's something Mario Cristobal is trying to avoid. Yeah. Okay. Um, 2022, I asked about quarterbacks. Honestly, the, the rest of it is kind of a black box to me. Are there any points you want to address? Any, anything you want to say to set fans on the right course for that next class? You know, I think just this, I, uh, I subscribe to the theory, much like many of you, that Mario Cristobal is going to do everything he can to sign 25 every year. I wholeheartedly believe and agree with you guys. He's going to do everything in his power to do that. That said, he's got two arms tied behind his back this year. I don't see any way to get to 25. I put out a article earlier today prior to this podcast, and my number was 20. And I think that that number, honestly, that number is even pushing it. Uh, you know, right now, I think all things considered, you know, getting anywhere near 15 is incredibly difficult. You know, getting from 15 to 20 is exponentially difficult for Mario Cristobal. And then obviously to take that from 20 to 25, you know, you're really getting up there in the difficulty scale. I, I just think that, you know, the number that I put out, which was 20, is really, really close. Maybe he gets to 21. Maybe he gets to 22. But again, everything, every single scholarship becomes exponentially more difficult to add at this point. Um, so, you know, for me, I, I, and I, I think that this is going to be a case around the country because this extra bonus COVID year that everybody was granted is going to mess with everybody's rosters, not just for this past season or this upcoming season. Mm -hmm. It messes with you for the next three to four years. So, you know, at some point, okay, at some point, this extra bonus COVID year thing is going to come back and put every school, or at least these major schools, if you will, these top top 30, top 40 schools, it's going to put them in a numbers crunch. And, and Oregon wholeheartedly will be in a numbers crunch. Now, I don't, I don't doubt that Mario Cristobal will do his best, you know, to, to make some room, you know, for some new guys and get some other guys moved elsewhere. But there's only you can't turn over your roster by 20 guys in a year. You just can't do that. And if you do, for whatever reason, turn over 15 guys, you can't do that year after year. You can do that like one out of every four years. So that's my point is as much as I think Mario Cristobal is going to want and try and beg and plead and kick and scream and do everything he can to get 25, he's not going to get there this year. He's just not. And, and I think my, my 20 number is fair. And if you look at that right now, if you look at that 20 number, uh, you know, that I'm talking about, and let's just say that that's the number, uh, this class is going to fill up really quickly. I mean, you've already got three guys committed in this class. 
you know, you're talking about potentially having 15 to 17 more spots left in this recruiting class. And it's February 4th. It's the first day after signing day. So, uh, you know, spots are going to come at a premium for Oregon. I have no doubt that they'll recruit well and bring in another very talented class. I just think that two things. I think because it's going to be a little short on numbers, they might not finish inside the top 10 this year. And that's okay. You're going to be shorter on numbers. Uh, what we'll have to look at at this point is how the average, or at that point, if you will, is how the average star rating stacks up with this class from this year. Um, so that'll be something to keep in mind. This class is going to fill up really early. Uh, I think guys are going to jump in and lock in and, and, and save up spots. Uh, and if Oregon is, a, is as successful this fall as some are, are expecting them to be, um, I think it's on like Donkey Kong from then on for Oregon. Okay. All right. Uh, put a bow on recruiting. You want to talk basketball? Oh, that's right. They are playing basketball every now and then. <laughs> Let's play some basketball! You're not wrong. They're playing basketball every now and then. Uh, Oregon men were on hiatus, and I had Joey Mack on my radio show last night, Ducks play-by-play guy. We're still crossing our fingers because... They play tonight, 7.30 pregame, 8 o'clock tip. We hope the hiatus ends, but I don't know if you can trust anything this year. Yeah, you know, uh, I I saw from Dana Altman's press conference, you know, people asking about, you know, making up some of these games that the men's basketball team is missing. And, you know, he didn't sound very optimistic on that happening. And and, and I I would probably have to agree with him. And, you know, I am, I guess, overall... Uh, I want to be careful saying this, but I'm still fairly surprised that we're in the spot that we're in as a as a country with the pandemic. Uh, and not to take that political because that's not my intent. But you know, here we are. We maybe kind of thought basketball would be that first step towards normalcy. You know, back to a normal season, and we obviously we're just not there yet. Mm-hmm. And uh, you you just kind of start to wonder what I mean. You know, it's February 4th and they call it March Madness for a reason. So, you know, with that starting to creep up, you kind of wonder what that's going to look like. And, and, you know, it, would Oregon, you know, is Oregon going to get a bid? Uh, it's just, um, I don't know. It's wild. It, it's all wild. All of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I, I fear this for Oregon. They've only played six games in the conference so far and they've won four out of six. So that's good. But it's not great, and I fear that in this COVID year, you're going to see schools that don't get an outright regular season title, that don't get a conference tournament title, because we might not even get a conference tournament when all things right. are said and done. I, I fear there are going to be some really good teams that in a normal year would have done enough, but the selection committee is going to say, we just don't know. And and I, I fear Oregon might be on the wrong side of that. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I think Oregon might be on the wrong side of that. Um, you know, I don't know. I mean, at, at least, um, you know, at least in this particular case, the Pac-12 wasn't at a severe disadvantage compared to other conferences like they were in football. You know, obviously football was playing from behind the eight ball, right. you know, starting six weeks after everybody right everybody uh, has the problems that the pac-12 is having right now yeah so they're they, they at least have a little 
you know, better shot there. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't, uh, man, I don't know. It's tough. I mean, I don't, you know, do you, is it win loss record? I, it, you know, what, how do you even factor a strength of schedule, you know, at this point for anybody? And, uh, but yeah, I guess let's just get them back on the court and watch some basketball. I, you know, it's, it, it's hard. And I, I think that, you know, as I re I reached out to, you know, some folks, uh, you know, that had accounts with scoop duck that might not have redoed them or, or they lapsed. And this was something I did in the last 60 days. And I try and do it from a personal manner. Um, you know, I, I send out an email that goes out to everybody and I BCC all those people, but I get responses. Right. And then I try and re respond with those. And, and, you know, there was a lot of people that voiced to me, like, you know, Hey, love the product, love what you do. I just, I really just, couldn't get that into football this year because of, you know, everything that was going on with it. Not, right. not, not politically, just the fact that, Hey, it was weird. It wasn't right. It was you know, it just, it wasn't the usual. And, and I think, I think basketball suffering, uh, I think basketball suffering from that even more than football was, you know, it's just, it's going to be hard to get into it. Um, it's really hard when you have a, a basketball game, everyone shows up to the arena for the basketball game and you cancel it during warmups. You know, we saw the, the ducks were forced to cancel a game because one of the, the, the refs uh, tested positive, which is unfortunate. I'm not blaming that ref. I'm just saying that's where we're at. And uh, I think it's going to make it really, it's, I love me some March madness, but if they actually have it, it's going to be wild this year. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I thought about this on my show last night. I think because of the difficult job the selection committee is going to have, I expect more upsets this year. Like, I could totally see a situation where a team in a normal year that would have earned the resume of a, a 10 seed or an 11 seed maybe drops to 13 or 14 or 15 and pulls off one of those upsets. Yeah, I, I, that's the thing. I think we'll see... You know, normally that that's the thing about what makes it so great is the you know is the Cinderellas and the big the big upsets in the tournament. I I, I you almost start to wonder will there be more upsets than than uh, <laughs> than the non upsets in the tournament this year because it'll be wild. I mean, you know they're going to get blasted. You know if they have it and they and they seed everybody, they're going to get blasted for seeding this school mm -hmm. here and this school there, and then, and then you know, it'll be upset city, but I will gladly take a tournament. I would be more than happy to see Oregon in it. Uh, I would be more than happy to see them healthy this season and playing because I think they were, they were really kind of starting to make some noise there. Uh, you know, it sounds like Will Richardson's uh, inching closer and closer back to a return, which is yep. great. Yep. Um, yeah. I mean, I just, I would love to see them healthy out there and heck who knows, maybe that maybe they make a run to finish this thing strong and, and, uh, you know, people are getting the, the COVID, uh, you know, the, the injections, the, maybe, maybe that'll help slow down the numbers. I don't know. I'm just, I'm being optimistic. I'm not trying to be political. I'm just trying to be optimistic. Right. So right. just give me some basketball. <laughs> no. And, and I mean, I have, I have a friend of mine that is a nurse and I know a lot of folks with friends or family in the medical field have been saying the same thing that if, if we get more people to vaccinate and we get more people to get that that second one and, and get it over with we're going to eventually get over this thing it's only a matter of time so i'm i'm with you i, I think that as we get into the spring eventually uh, the the pandemic here 
will be one for the history books. Um, and it's just a matter of, of kind of hurtling over that right now. Uh, Oregon men, that's their situation. They got the Washington schools coming to town this week. Washington State tonight. Uh, Cougs are only 3-7 and seven in league, so I like the Ducks there. Washington on Saturday, rivalry game. Huskies run that 2-3 zone, so they're always tough, but only 2-8 and eight in the conference this year. I like Oregon in that one, too. How about you? Yeah, I, I think as the Ducks inch closer to, you know, uh, you know, uh, getting over this injury bug, uh, they're looking like a really good team. Um, you know, it, it's tough. It's going to be hard because, you know, what is what what have they played like one or two games in the last thirty days? Right. You know, something like that. Right. They're going to come out rusty. I mean, I don't I don't care how much they've been practicing. I mean, they're going to come out rusty. Um, but who knows? Maybe they'll come out with piss and vinegar because they're excited to get out there and beat up on somebody else in the paint besides their teammates. So. Uh, yeah, I, I got Oregon winning. I think they'll come out and be just fine. Though. Yeah, and that that is the other angle. I know Joey Mack brought that up yesterday. Chemistry and conditioning. And, and we saw that lacking when they played the Beavers in, uh, it feels like a month ago. Yeah, January 23rd, so almost a month ago. Um, that That's going to be an issue tonight for sure. Probably still going to be lingering on Saturday. But I just feel like on paper they're the better team. Definitely. Yeah. Or Oregon. I I mean, I, I feel like I, I guess we're semi homering out a little bit, but I feel like Oregon uh, relatively healthy and without major hurdles, you know, with, uh, should be able to kind of win out here for the rest of the year. But um, again, that's the unknown, you know, who, who might miss because of a COVID scare. You know what I mean? Who gets injured? All these things. Um, just you, I guess I don't know. Right. It's But that's why we're here. We get to talk about it and take our take our minds away from reality right yeah yeah uh oregon women they have the same problem that the men did for a while uh some games getting canceled games getting moved they have uh uc davis coming to town saturday night but not able to get a pac-12 game in until monday how do you feel about them uh you know yeah i, I mean obviously uh, that uh, you know the ducks should win that one no question um I, I feel like the the fact I, I feel like that's yeah I know obviously there's a game tonight but I feel like that's the warm up game you want you know what I mean that's the one where you get back out on the court and it's like okay here's the tune up game but uh, uh, you know uh, maybe that's the tune up game for Will Richardson maybe he's ready by you know by Saturday to play oh uh, you know the uh, the Oregon women oh the women oh shoot yeah, yeah. I was, I'm I must have zoned I was I was zoned off here for a minute didn't I. No, the the uh, the the women. That's right. Here's the problem. Okay, let me back this up for a minute. I get so many darn press releases from the 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 men, the women, the football, the softball, and I love all the releases. They're terrific. I start to cross them up. Right. <laughs> I start to cross them up. I do the same uh, thing. So yeah, the, I do the same that thing. release came out a day or two ago, and I was like, oh yeah, there's a basketball game. Um, and I don't, you know, I haven't been going to the basketball games this year because, uh, you know, because we have you know, Jacob Archer and Max Torres and, and, and Kirby Hammer, all three of those guys working for me, you know, they're, they're students at Oregon and they live in Eugene and, and, you know, they're, they're loving getting to go to the games. Like, you know, so I just instantly defer to let them go to the games because I know that, you know, for them, it's fun. It gets them out of the house. It's, you know what I mean? It's, it's just kind of that return to normalcy, if you will. But anyways, back to the women, I'm off my tangent. 
and why I lose my train of thought sometimes. Uh, you know, the, the women, uh, that was Monday, right? UC Davis game was for Monday? Uh, it's scheduled for Saturday. Saturday, Saturday, that's right. Saturday for the UC Davis game. Uh, shouldn't be a problem for the women, although they've been struggling a little bit of late. Uh, I be- let me see. The women won their last two games, if I recall correctly. Lost to Stanford. And then I believe they won the two after that. So they're rebounding a little bit. Uh, sounds like they're doing a little better defensively, but, um, you know, they're going to need somebody to step up scoring wise. So uh, hopefully they can get on track with UC Davis and, and maybe uh, I think it's confidence at this point. You know what I mean? You go out there and you whoop up on somebody pretty good. You're a fairly young team. Maybe UC Davis can be that form, and they'll turn the corner the rest of the season. Yeah, haven't played for a couple of weeks, and uh, I, I listened to an interview that Kelly Graves did on Canzano's show the other day where he talked about how he felt like they had just started to turn a corner. They were just starting to get a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better, and maybe uh, mirror that. Sabrina, Ruthie, Satu class that went on that hot streak at the end of the year and made some noise. Um, It's just so tough. Like I said earlier, chemistry and conditioning, it's so tough to keep that high trajectory when you don't play for a couple weeks. Yeah, I mean, you know, even, let's just say, even if they're, you know, able to avoid you know, having to pause for COVID during practice and you're out there practicing for two, three weeks, that gets redundant. You know what I mean? You can only work on so many things. You can only do, you know, so many of these, you know, just there, there's only so much. So yeah, you got to get out there and you got to, you got to get up against a different opponent, you know, different body styles, different people than you've seen and, and kind of get back on your horse a little bit. And I think a lot of that goes with confidence. I think if this team can go out there and beat UC Davis and kind of get maybe a little bit of that swag back, um, you know, I think I don't want to write off the season for the women because it's not fair to them, but let's just say that over the next two to three years, you know, what this team that goes through this year is going to be, you know, a huge building block for them. And and I don't know that I see a championship caliber team out there this year. I see the building blocks of one that simply just needs to get a little bit better, a little bit more experienced. And, uh, you know, hopefully the rest of the season they can kind of, you know, they can gain, they can play enough games to gain that kind of confidence and really take that into next season. That's my goal for them. Yeah. Okay, so we've talked about football. We've talked about hoops. Uh, we can save the spring sports for another week. Baseball schedule, softball schedule, both announced. They'll play mid-February. We'll talk about that next week right here. And uh, there was that interview that I mentioned the last time we had a podcast. We're saving that one. It's really good. Our guest rules. He's just really busy. So we're going to give him some time. We'll get him back on a little bit later this month, maybe maybe in March even, as uh, his schedule may allow. But I promise it's worth the wait. Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi. Uh, I always end the show this way. I want to remind everybody, if you like the pod, feel free to leave us a, a good review on whatever podcast app you use. And if you, you listen on Scoop Duck and you want to just grab it on your phone or grab it on a, an iPod, iPad, whatever, pull us up in any podcast app. Any podcast app. Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi. We'll be back sometime next week. We'll, we'll talk about 
the next Ducks recruiting class. We will look ahead to spring practices a little bit, talk about the coaching vacancies at Oregon, and talk about basketball, getting ready for March Madness. A whole lot more headed you on the next pod. Scoop Duck and High Five. Thanks for listening, and go Ducks. I can do this now.